0: We're into the season of Lent, and we're starting a new series. Uh, and the title of our series for this season is Ever Wonder Why? Um, there are some things that we look at during the season of Lent that help us understand a little bit better the life of Christ and the ministry of Jesus Christ. So we're going to walk along with that. And so this series is going to follow through the Gospels. Um, if you're familiar with the lectionary, um, We're following the lectionary readings for Lent uh, that come out of the Gospels. And um, in the life of Christ, we see a a few things. We see how he lives as an example for us. We get to see the way he lives his life and go, okay, there's got to be ways that I can imitate that, that I can do similarly uh, in my own life to what Christ did. So we, we see his example and we see his teachings. So there are times when he taught the people around him and he preached and said things that um, challenge us. So we're going to be looking at those two things. There are some things that he did and there's some things that he said and it, it's a little bit perplexing. It's a little hard for us to understand um, and certainly hard for us to integrate into our lives. Uh, following Jesus Christ is not easy. But it is worth the challenge, and so we 're going to look at that we 're going to be and so the subtitle i 've given to this is "Learning from the Master um, this Sunday, I want us to focus on this passage in Luke where Jesus was tempted, and we 've seen uh, references to that already in scripture that we read and songs that we sang, uh, talking about Jesus being tempted and so here 's the passage in Luke chapter four if you 'd like to follow along. Um, you're welcome to do that. But here it is up on the screen for us. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. Remember, that's where he was baptized. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. I'm going to stop there. You know I do this from time to time. As we read the Scripture, I just want you to make note of certain things. He is full of the Spirit. The Spirit is leading him, and he ends up in the wilderness. If you can just make a mental note of that, we're going to come back to that in a moment. Once he arrived in the wilderness, that's where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. Again, I'm going to stop. If you wonder where we get the pattern of Lent and a Lenten fast, this is it. and um, it, It's just following a pattern that Christ set. It's, we don't want to be legalistic and weird about it, but you know he did this. Maybe we should try doing something similar. Verse 3. Then the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, No. The scriptures say, People do not live by bread alone. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will worship me. Jesus replied, the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. The devil, Then the devil took him to Jerusalem to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect and guard you. And they will... Hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. Then the devil had finished tempting him. He left him until the next opportunity came. So, just noting a couple of things here that we've read. Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit. He has been baptized and now he is led by the Spirit into the wilderness and there he is going to be tempted, and he places himself in this position of temptation. And so we're going to look at the issue uh, and walk around what temptation looks like and, and how we navigate that and wrestle with that. I want you to notice, first of all, though, that Jesus didn't end up being tempted because he did something wrong. Okay? Just, just take that to heart here. Jesus wasn't placed in a position of being tempted because he was stupid or negligent or wasn't applying himself. Christ was placed in a position of temptation because the Spirit led him there. And that is something we tend to just walk right on by. We tend to think that temptation happens when something's out of whack inside of us. I get tempted when I'm not holy. But I would just suggest to you that as this story unfolds of Christ and his temptation, it's not because Jesus is being negligent, he isn't paying attention, he's not connected with the the, the rest of the Trinity. Absolutely not. Contrary to that, he is led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit in order for him to undergo temptation. So if you say, you know, I get tempted and then when I'm tempted I think I'm not where I belong let me just suggest to some of you the hard truth that there are times we face temptation because we are exactly where we belong. Because we've been led there by Christ Himself. Because God wants us there. And we are going to be tested and we are going to be tried and we're going to be put through rigors intentionally to strengthen us, to fortify us, to teach us about God and how He's at work in us and at work in the world. So don't be... This sounds bad, but don't be tempted to not be tempted. Don't think that experiencing temptation is somehow an indication of weakness because here is Christ, perfection himself, led by the Spirit into this. And we have the incredible privilege of watching how he wrestles with that. You have the incredible privilege of watching how rich is going to go without coffee for 40 days. And Rich has put himself in that position, and, and whether it's ice cream or eating out or junk food or carbs or whatever it is that these men talked about that were up here at the front just a few moments ago, we're, we're putting ourselves in a position of discomfort. Not just because of what we eat or what we're not going to do, we're not going to watch, but we're putting ourselves into a position of discomfort because we are allowing you to watch us. You get to observe. And I would just admit right up front on behalf of all the guys that were up here, that at some point in the next six weeks, it isn't going to be pretty. It is not going to be fun. But we're going to expose ourselves to that because we think that perhaps there's something we can learn and develop and somehow become stronger, closer to Christ through this, and maybe even... Pushing out a little bit farther, maybe our church gets to flex a little bit of muscle. Gets to become a little bit stronger because of this. And you don't have, if you didn't come up here to the front, but you're challenged by this, and you go, man, I want in on this, absolutely, you know, do it, okay? You don't have to have permission, you don't have to say it up here. There's other ways you can do that, but do it, okay? So... As Jesus goes through this, he is led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. And in the wilderness is when he encounters the devil and this interaction that goes on that we get to eavesdrop on the conversation. I I have to admit to you that going through those wilderness passages, those wilderness episodes in our lives... They're not things that we tend to seek out because they're pleasurable, because they're fun. We tend to avoid those wilderness experiences because they are trying and we look back on them and we may be able to see the benefit that came, but we think, thank the Lord we just got through it. If you've ever driven west in the United States, perhaps you have gone from here in Kansas out to the west coast, particularly the southwest if you head toward California, which I've done several times. I did it as a child because my family came from California and had family here in Kansas, and we would go back and forth, and with a family of six, it wasn't always cost-effective to fly, so we drove if you've done that, and you head through Kansas, which we all know Kansas is gorgeous. And so for people who are listening on the internet, in other parts of America and around the world, and they say this is flyover country, Kansas is God's country, and he only allows a few people to live here. <laughs> all right, that's just, a, that's just a truth that I have to pronounce. So people th- you know, this is great. But then we go a little bit farther west and you go through the mountains and they think the mountains are great. But the mountains aren't great. You can't grow anything there. They're hard on gas mileage, you know, all those things. They're fun to look at. And then you get through the mountains, you get over to the west side of the Rockies and, and then you just end up in this wild country, Utah, Nevada, Arizona, and it is desolate. And it's, it's, it's strangely beautiful to drive through there. It really is. But if you do it at the right time of year, I've done it in July. If you do it at the right time of year, it's a wonderful experience if you've got really good air conditioning in your car. Right? <laughs> you guys are with me. And so you, you, you have this brief, tempered, kind of a manufactured wilderness experience you go wow you know saguaro cactuses look great those rock formations are amazing grand canyon is wonderful and you drive through but folks we've got air conditioning we go bring it on but if we had to walk we would die it would kill us so the this wilderness experience is is hard it's hard But it is also, it also holds the possibility of being incredibly rewarding. Uh, I found out this week that my niece and her husband are making plans. They're going to the Grand Canyon this spring, and they applied for permission to do um, a a very selective hike uh, down to Havasu Falls at the bottom of the Grand Canyon. And so now they're starting to prepare, and they're working out, and they're planning, and they're very active. They'll do great. And I'm a little envious because it's gorgeous, and then I remember, you know, what that's like. And so it's great. you go down to these falls, and then you've got to get out. And you've got to get your way out of there, and you get wonderful pictures and your Instagram looks fantastic, and everybody's impressed. But it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be hot, you're going to hurt, you're going to be thirsty. People die down there, still to this day. So these wilderness experiences, we know what they're like. Jesus goes out into the wilderness, and and then just to make it even harder, he didn't eat. He didn't take anything to eat, and there he is, and he's encountering the devil. So he hears this voice in the wilderness that goes, Hey, you're in bad shape here. We could make this better. We could... You know, we could improve things a little bit. And the devil offers these words of advice to possibly make things easier. And I would just suggest to you that the temptation, the temptation can most often be defined as finding an easy way out during hard times. That's temptation. I think that's a pretty good definition of temptation, finding an easy way out when times are hard. And so here's Jesus, and and the devil comes to him and knows, you're hungry, you're tired, you're sweaty, whatever the conditions were. And this is a time for me to offer him an easy way out. And fortunately for us, and of course, certainly, Christ resists this because he understands the dimensions of these hard times. He understands that forty days is only forty days long. And so here the devil is saying, you know, you can turn rocks into bread. Not gonna do that. You can you can have, you know, all these Nations bow down to you, and you can throw yourself off the temple and demonstrate your power, these temptations that he offers to him. And Jesus understands that what he is suggesting as an easy solution is really no solution at all. So I would just suggest to you that oftentimes when we're doing something, we you know, and you know, hey, we can take a shortcut, we can do an easy way out. It is probably something that will be detrimental to our journey. And it might look better, it might seem more appealing, but it is going to do some kind of harm along the way. And we've all done this. Maybe, in, like, like Sid said, you know, maybe these things seem small, but when you add them up, they become life-changing. I'm reminded that for many of us, temptation and giving in to temptation leads down a slow road to disrepair it just it's just one little infraction built on another little infraction and another one and and it's just deviating 1 degree at a time until we become aware of the fact that we are completely off course and lost and all of a sudden we go how did we end up here because we were we were in the right place but now just one small decision on top of another and another and another have led me to a place and I don't know where I am anymore. A couple of years ago, it's, I think it's been three years ago, I was I was in Africa with one of our teams, our mission teams and um, myself, Pastor Mark Waterhouse up in Topeka and, and Pastor Kim Martin up at, from up at Mays United Methodist Uh, The three of us were together. We were going to a meeting with church leaders in the capital, and um, we had to space people out in the car for other people to ride with us. And so um, my daughter, Linnea, said, hey, you need to ride with us. The others were going to make a straight trip out of the country. They were driving to the border, but we had to go to this meeting. And, I, you know, I understand directions pretty well. I was driving. Driving in the capital there is crazy. The traffic is, is bizarre. And um, rules of the road are extremely limited. Uh, so we thought, okay, we're going to drive down here. And I know the area where our church is. And if I can get close, when I, not if, when, I'm a man. I'm confident in finding my way around. Uh, when I get close... Uh, you know, I, I know where the road is and I'll, I'll go right up the road to our church. This is a big, huge city of about three million people. <clears throat> and so we drove down there and I was going down the highway and there's, we, we took the highway that goes right down the coast and right along the beach. And I said, you know, the church is just right up the hill about two or three miles from the beach and so I need to turn west. And so I turned west and we started up this street and... And then the hill got really steep, and the street stopped, so I, you know, started a little detour. I said, I need to go west again, so I took another street west, and, and a couple more turns, just keep going west. I'm going to get, I need, I'm, I'm close. I know I'm really close. And I took a street, and as we went down this street, the street started to narrow, and get narrower and narrower. We're in a pretty good-sized four-wheel drive pickup truck, because we've been up country and the street is getting narrower. And as I'm driving along, I'm, pa- I'm trying to pay really close attention to where I'm at, but I'm also observing people on the street watching me. And suddenly, the street is pretty much one lane, and the guys with me are going, "Do you know where you're going?" And you know, at that point, I'm really tempted to just stop the car and go. You can get out and walk. I didn't do that. But I, I said, yeah, you know what? Well, we're going west. The, the neighborhood's right up the hill here. We're going west. And the street just got narrower and narrower and narrower. And, and pretty soon the street was down to an alley. And then we just got to the point where, I, I mean, I was going about five miles an hour. And one of the guys go, you're not going to fit between those buildings. I mean, there was no cul-de-sac. There was no sign that said, you know, this is a dead end. It's just these houses got narrower and narrower until it was a path. It was a sidewalk Just a path going through there. And it was no longer a street. And so I'd made a a, a series of decisions because I think I know where I'm headed. I I understand the general orientation and general direction. But all of a sudden, I am stuck. And I was almost literally stuck to where you couldn't even open the doors of the vehicle because the buildings were so close to us. So then I got to back up. And this is uncomfortable and a little bit embarrassing. But that's what temptation does to us. We just we make a series of decisions and we think we're, you know, we're relying on our own wisdom and this seems expedient and this seems kind of easy and I'm going to make a series of decisions and then all of a sudden we end up in a place and we go, boy, getting out of here is not going to be easy and it's going to be embarrassing and people are going to notice this and it's not going to look good. So I'm going to quit going to church and I'm going to quit talking to my family about this and, and I'm just going to pretend maybe it didn't happen. I couldn't do that because I had two other guys who will not let me forget this story ever in my life, right there in the car with me. But just this, this, it was just a slow progression of a series of decisions that I thought were well-informed but were rather uninformed, and I ended up in a place where we didn't belong. That's, that's true for all of us. Now, occasionally, for some of us, it's not just this, excuse me, <coughs> this slow progression to a place we don't belong, but it's a rather quick one where all of a sudden we hit up against something unexpected in life. A temptation comes along and we make a disastrous decision and it's catastrophic. So I found this picture of this ship, an abandoned wrecked ship. That To look at it, it, it doesn't look like it's terribly compromised. But somebody made a bad decision. I don't know if they left it there when the, when the tide went out or whether they thought they could get through a place they couldn't get through. And then the ship got grounded. And then once it was grounded, uh, it was there on the the ground. It was abandoned. And now it's just rusting and decaying and nothing. Nobody wants this ship anymore. Nobody's going to go to work to salvage this thing anymore. It is just a reminder of bad choices. And I'm guessing that this happened rather suddenly, but then leaving it there meant a long, continued story of decay. Just unraveling. For many of us, succumbing to temptation is just a story of a series of decisions that unravel our lives. For some of us, we do this long enough and we pretend that it's not going along For quite a while and then we find out that we're at this place and we have no idea how to put our lives back together again. For some of us, we've been there and then we've had to do the hard and humble work of inviting others to counsel us, hold us accountable, stand up in front perhaps like we did and go, you know, this is what I'm doing now with my life. Giving in and listening to the voice in the wilderness unravels us. Thankfully, Christ showed us this example where you can answer the voice without obeying the voice. You can respond to temptation without succumbing to temptation. And so there's this hope that we have. What we are doing, though, by dealing with our temptation, is we are choosing to work with our impulses and turn our impulses. See, we tend to operate in ways as human beings that are mechanisms that we've developed over time out of habit. We've, just, we've done things over and over again and that leads us to do things sometimes beautifully and sometimes poorly. So these guys up here that were leading us in singing, um, they didn't just learn that, the songs this morning. And they didn't just learn how to play these instruments this morning. They've spent time and they've developed, they've trained themselves over time because I want to be able to play these notes, play them accurately in the right time. And they can now do something rather complex with a degree of beauty, a high degree of beauty. In the same way... All of you have developed certain skills out of habits in your life. So there are some of you that can cook the most amazing meals from memory and you don't even think about it. You just start throwing the ingredients together and and you've done it enough times that you know exactly how many carrots and how many potatoes and, and you have your mechanisms that you've done and you can put together an amazing meal that the rest of us sit there and go, wow, you make it look so easy and there 's other habits there 's other things we do there 's other skills that we develop and, and we do these things and if we do them enough and we train ourselves enough, we can respond to these opportunities almost instantaneously because they become impulses we 've learned them we 've developed them and we can just do them. Not too long ago, I had a young pastor uh, that that I was talking to and we were talking about preaching, and he was talking about some of the things he'd been preaching on, and he was telling me some of the, the ways that he was trying to creatively communicate the good news of Jesus Christ in his church. And then he said something to me, and, and this was really humbling, and, and I had to really back off quick, but he said, you know, my mom, I know his mom. He said, my mom has listened to me preach, and <clears throat> she told me I need to work on my preaching skills. <laughs> I love mothers of sons. I love mothers of adult sons that can come along and go, <clears throat> honey, you can do better. Um, and so he was telling me that his mom told him that he could preach better than this. And then so it gets better. Here's the kicker. <clears throat> then he said, my mom's been listening to your messages online. <clears throat> And I wasn't sure what was coming next, so I just sat there quietly. Oh, okay. Uh, And then he said, "She says I should preach more like you." (laughs) And then at that moment, there is like a thousand things I could say. The first thing I said is, "You need to preach you. You need to be a vessel of the Lord yourself, individually. That's do not try to be hink. That is a I mean, hink being hink is not good most of the time." If you try to be Hank, it's going to be even worse. <laughs> and so, you, know, you need to be you. So don't do that. Well, then he went on to say, well, she said, you know, you talk, you tell these stories, you do this stuff. You, you know, and I, I need to preach like you. I said, well, look, you, you know, we, we all learn from other people. And I told him a couple of people in my life that influenced me, people that I tried to learn from. And it's not just preaching and ministry in other ways, in life in other ways, that I, I observe people. I go, they do that really well. I'm going to try and imitate them. I'm going to try and do that like them. And certainly as followers of Jesus Christ we should have in our minds and in our hearts and in our attention that we observe what Jesus did and let's try to do that. We observe the way he acted and interacted. Let's try to do that. And so we're turning our impulse. If we can do this enough times maybe we can just do it naturally and make it look easy not as the temptation to turn away from hard things, but because we've worked hard on it, we now have skills. That's completely different. It isn't easy, it's trained. I'm always amazed by these military guys that have trained hours and hours and months and months and even years and years to be able to do things that seem superhuman. They are as fit and as strong as a human body can get. And they, in in spite of that, can do the most intricate things. So, you, you have fighter pilots in these air, high tech airplanes that, that, you know, in split seconds can be pushing buttons and, and maneuvering big airplanes in the air in incredible ways. And, and you have uh, soldiers who can pay attention during the most chaotic firefight. And, and hear the orders of a commander over bombs going off. It's amazing. But they don't just arrive at that. They have trained. They have gone through that. They know what that feels like. In the same way that in sports, a football player knows exactly when to put his hands up to catch a pass. In the same way that a musician in an orchestra knows exactly when to hit exactly which note to be in harmony with 50 other instruments to make a beautiful song. And I would just suggest to you that if you think those skills come naturally and easily, the majority of it is trained. Yes, there's some natural ability, but the most of what has gone into this is these people really applying themselves. They have taken a long view to say, I'm going to do this over and over and over again until I can You all know, I've said this before, I I like to use this analogy because it's helpful to me. You all know that if I said I want to run a marathon, it isn't happening today. It would take me a long time to run that far, 26.2 miles. I would have to train and I may never get there. But we know people who have done this and that they did it because they worked their way up and they did it over and over again and they developed, they took the long view. So, as we try to train our impulses so that our impulses aren't to just do foolish things, bad things, unhelpful things, when the temptation comes along, we train our impulses to react to that in other ways. I think this is what Paul meant when he wrote and said... Work out your salvation with holy fear. Figure out how to train and turn those impulses toward God and away from the world, away from the devil, away from the easy. And then do the hard work of trusting truth. So I recently was listening to a podcast that had to do with the way people handle bad news. You know, because this is something we all face sooner or later. We we hear things that are not welcome. And the suggestion was that the two things we really need to pay attention to the most is bad news that has to do with our finances and our health. That's, that's what they were saying. This is not a Christian podcast. This is just a secular one saying, you know what, when something, when news comes along, that is not easy to take, that has to do with our finances or our health, we should be paying attention, we should pay attention to the truth. The trouble is, when it comes to those two issues, we tend to dismiss the truth more than we do on other things. So when someone says, you know, something that's going on in your body, this really isn't good and you need to have it dealt with, by and large, our tendencies to go, I don't think so, I think I'll get over this. I think I'm okay. I don't think it's broken. I don't think it's cancer. And so we tend to dismiss that, even when somebody who has definitive information tells us. Even when a doctor says, you know, you need to go on meds for this. And we go, I don't think so. Let me try it for a few more months. Even when we see that, oh, you know, I just did my taxes and this isn't so good... Let me do them again. Let me get another tax preparer to do it. And so we we get the second opinions because the first opinion we did not want to hear. And we don't always trust that. We need someone to verify, right? That was Ronald Reagan's great statement. Trust, but verify. Verify. And so here it is with us, as we work with our impulses and something comes along and a temptation, maybe it's not a temptation to do something that is blatantly evil, but it's just a temptation to do something that's rather easy, that looks more comfortable. We might turn to those around us and go, you know, is that other ice cream before work? Something I should do that somebody might go, yeah, maybe not every day or eating out again. So we need to learn to trust the truth and we need to have people around us who know how to discern the truth and tell us the truth. And as we get that, then we get to do things. We get to make good decisions. We get to make wise decisions over and over again. And those decisions are like small investments. They're like making little deposits in our journey to get us farther down the road. So I got into this place there in the capital of Mozambique in Maputo where I was no longer on a road. I was on a path. And I had to back up and turn around. And then I realized that you know, none of these roads get through to the neighborhood. They all get cut off. And at that moment, I pulled over and I rolled down the window and uh, called a guy standing on the street over to me and used my best Portuguese, which is poor and limited. And I said to him, you know... Do you know how to get to this neighborhood, at Polana And uh, the guy turned back to me, and he kind of looked and a little bit confused. And then I, so then I switched, and I said, uh, "Do you speak English?" Uh, he looked at me, and he goes, "A little bit." I said, I need to get to the Polana neighborhood. And he starts pointing, and we navigated our way. And there was a moment when I was pulling away that I thought I should just go back and get him and say, Get in and go with me because these two guys in the back seat are laughing at my discomfort. I think we all need somebody like that. When, we, when we're in that place, we go, okay, I, I need to navigate out of this. I need a companion who knows this territory. Even if you're a stranger, if you know the territory, get in because I want to do this in a way that gets me there quickly, that gets me where I belong. And the Lord is good. He sends us allies. He sends us friends. He sends us fellow believers and what's remarkable to me is when we are willing to trust the truth and be a little bit vulnerable and expose ourselves, we encounter other people who go, oh, I've been there. Oh, yeah, I've been through that. I recently shared something with my nephew. <clears throat> and so we were talking, and he was asking how I was doing. And so um, there was something that I had been struggling with, and I, so I just told him. And I said, okay, here's the deal. And if this was back in the fall. It was at Thanksgiving. We were together at Thanksgiving. So I go, okay, here's the deal. I'm getting to the age where I just don't think that covering up everything helps me. And so I'm just going to reveal this. And so he and I were sitting together. And there wasn't anybody within earshot of us. And so I just said, here's a here's deal I'm dealing with. This is something that is really bothering me. And I don't think I've handled it well. And I'm not going to reveal it to all of you because I think that would break trust with him. But he turned to me, 20 years my junior, and he goes, you know, Uncle Hank, I am so, I'm so glad you said that. I'm so glad you trusted me to tell me that, because I've been going through the same thing. I've done that. And so here I am, 20 years older than him, a generation older than he is, and I said, okay, so how did you do that? And what it was was not how did you, but how are you? doing that and so now about once a week he and I text each other and he goes hey how are you doing and I go you know I'm working on this and I'm, I'm making decisions and I'm doing things that I wasn't doing six months ago and he goes yeah me too and this is what I'm doing and that little level of accountability is wonderful and we're navigating with each other And I'm just thankful that it's somebody I'm related to who loves me. So when I say, yeah, this was not a good week. And he goes, "Ah, well, I love you. Keep going, Uncle Hank. And he does the same with me. And it's just a wonderful thing to have, turning those impulses. I need to move on. Reminding ourselves that when we deal with temptation, we're really dealing with a discernment between what is a lie and what is a truth. So very quickly, I want to give you... Uh, four specific lies that we tend to entertain. They're very broad, so you can put other things in that. So here's the one, and I've already talked about this quite a bit, but a lie that we tend to entertain a lot is easier is always better. Let's not believe that lie. The world around us tries very hard to convince us that they have an easier way to sell us, and oftentimes most oftentimes, the easier ways will not get us where God wants us to be. To get where God wants us to be, we've got to go through the wilderness. We've got to face the voice of the wilderness, and we have to answer it and deal with the impulses. That's the first one. The second lie is discipline isn't worth it. Discipline does not pay the returns Discipline always pays some kind of return. If we develop a healthy habit, it always pays something off to us. It always gets us somewhere better. Young people, if you can learn this now and develop self-discipline in your life, when you get to be our age, some of us that are older, you will be thankful for what you've avoided. Discipline is worth it. Number three, no one will care. If I do this, nobody cares. It doesn't affect them. It doesn't influence them, which leads us to the next one. Let's just put those two together. It won't hurt anyone. If it's a bad decision, it always harms someone. Usually, almost unequivocally, ourselves. But often others. So when we're tempted, we're going to take the easy way out and we go, "No, nobody's going to care, nobody's going to know, it really doesn't matter. If you do it enough times, people find out, people know, they see the results of it, and it hurts. And so let's just deal with those lies and let's, let's make those lies something that we can pay attention to from time to time. And then let's temper that with some words of truth. So here's three things. I want you to remember that are words of truth. You are more. I think Jackson was the one that gave this to me, right? You use the you are more? Yeah, I mean it's a song, but yes. Okay, so you did, it's not original to you, but he, he gave the words to me. And I think they're wonderful words. We always are tempted to believe a lie that tells us we're less than what God believes in us and that we are capable of. You are more. So don't be tempted to sell yourself short because in selling yourself short, we're also selling God short. That's, that God somehow was insufficient and didn't do enough when he created us. When he put us together. When he took us to the wilderness. You are more. The next I want you to embrace is the truth that love lives. The world around us is often ready to tell us the lie that love costs too much. It hurts and there's even a great song from my era that was called Love Stinks. And I would just suggest to you that runs counter to the love of Christ. I think when we experience the love of Christ, we understand that love gives life and love lives. And so taking the chance on extending love to one another is rarely an investment that fails. And I just want to, at this moment, I just want to say to some of you, and, and you probably know who you are, and if you don't, just include yourself, okay? Some of you have showed me incredible love. You have shown me what it means to be forgiven. You've shown me what it means to be patient at times when I needed that. Hopefully I have returned that to you and loved you in return. But let me tell you, that is life-giving. To know that somebody's there when I stumble a little bit or when I don't do the greatest job or when I make one of those little tiny decisions that could have gone better to have people going, it's okay, come on, let's make another decision. Love lives. And then finally, decision happens in a moment. And this isn't original to me and I'm not sure who said it. But decision happens in a moment, but freedom takes many sacrifices. You know, in a moment we can decide to do something, but to actually arrive at a place of freedom means we have to be disciplined and make sacrifices over time to get there. You want to be free of a few pounds, you give up the ice cream and the junk food. You want to be free of some pain, you give up bad patterns of behavior and people who do harmful things. Freedom takes many sacrifices. We tend, in our nation, kind of in that nationalistic fervor, we talk about, you know, freedom isn't free and we are thankful for the people who go and defend our freedom and die for our freedom, but I'll tell you what, it's also not free here and it means we vote and we take time out of our day to vote. It means we exercise good citizenship and we uphold the law and we expect other people to uphold the law and we become good neighbors and all those things. That's what freedom is built on. And in, in spiritual terms, freedom requires sacrifices from those easy sins that we might go, you know what, this time it's not going to matter. Nobody cares. We believe those lies and we do those things and we make a sacrifice. And, it hurt. and we don't make the sacrifice that hurts. But we say, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to treat people that way. I'm not going to participate in that activity. I'm going to be a better person. It's a small sacrifice, but it's one more step towards freedom. And so, my friends, as we deal with temptation... I just want to remind you in closing, God may lead us there to face those things. And then we have the opportunity to make choices in the light of temptation, in the light of his word, to say, Lord, we want to reflect you. We want to pursue you. We want to end up where you want us to go. Band, come on up and uh, lead us as we sing in closing. And uh, let's respond to God as we sing and say, okay, Lord, take us through the places that we need to go through, the wilderness, so that we can arrive where you want us to be.